You're listening to Red Nation Online. As we normally do. And yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a Tuesday Tuesday night here, Tim, and uh, there's no game today. There's no no home game. <laughs> no, we're, we're breaking out of the uh, out of the format for the second time ever in the, the history of this podcast. Well, I think uh, I think this can be considered a mon- monumental moment in the history of Toronto FC. The king is dead. Long live the king. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Mo Johnson. The rule of Mo Johnson has come to an end at Toronto FC. After joining the club in 2007? Well, I'm sure he was hired in 06. But, oh, was it uh, 06? Probably the fall or the winter. That's right, 06. yeah, that's right. And um, he uh, he was hired originally as the uh, the the manager or the, the coach, head coach of the club, and then moved into the director of soccer and general manager role with the club. And today he was let go. Relieved of duties. Along with uh, his former Evertonian teammate, Precky. Um, so it's a huge day, really, for Toronto. And uh, I can't say um, under the circumstances I'm particularly happy about it all because the circumstances that have led up to this is that, in effect, Toronto are excluded from the playoffs um, for a fourth consecutive season with really only a, a, a fool's hope of, of making them. I mean, there's realistically, I don't think they have any chance of making them. So after the uh, defeat against DC United on Saturday, uh, it looks like the board of MLSE got together and uh, and uh, sort of agreed that it was time for Mo and Preki to go. And it's uh, it might be an interesting point that you know again this might have been something that was on the wall prior to this game, and this was just you know the nail in the coffin because the well, s- leading up to this game, right, there was the the talks that assistant coach Nick Dasovich uh, had been uh, MIA for two games. Be, well, right? apparently he'd been sent on a scouting mission. In quotes. But he was in Vancouver at home. Yes. So I think, I mean, maybe that was, that. do you think that was Preki and he had had a falling out? And that's what that's what the signs are pointing to, yeah. That. And um, the management or the, the board of MLSE told uh, Nick to, you know, clear off and chill for a couple of weeks and take some time with his family. And then while everything else that was playing out, um, played out. I mean, when you look, though, at the recent form of Toronto, it's, was it six games without a, without a win recently or a goal? Six games without a win, one goal in six games. That's right. And, uh, many, uh, and well, many of those were um, uh, at home as well. I mean particularly the New York game, uh, where they lost 4-1. Um, I think, um, as I mentioned in the podcast on Saturday, that's where I think the, the wheels pretty much fell off this season for the club because that sort of aura of invincibility at home came tumbling down in royal fashion. So probably the the, the owners or the, the managers and the executives at MLSE were probably concerned about the, the lack of goals and the concerned about the lack of um, progress towards the playoffs, which they had promised or assured the fans um, that this was the ultimate goal of this season, 
Champions League was just secondary and Neutralite Cup was just secondary. Uh, progression to the playoffs was the main focus of the uh, of the season. Probably when it became apparent to them that that was just no longer the case, then they just decided to act now. And um, from, from the point of view of the owners, um, it allows them to put the blame fair and square at the foot of Mo Johnson and Preki. And then they can say, listen, this season's done and dusted. We'll move on, get a new management team in place and uh, take it from there. But what's this, the, the fifth fifth manager in in four years? Well, there's Colin, they're calling it fifth and five. But I mean, we're only in the fourth season. So, so I think have, they're looking Mo Johnson, yeah. John Carver, yep. Chris Cummings, yep. Preki, yep. and now Nick Dasovich. Nick Dasovich. So from a sort of a structural integrity sort of point of view, it's far from a, an even sort of uh, keel that the, ship, the team is operating under. No. That kind of turmoil of constant change within the sort of the, the management and the, I mean, ultimately it's the, the, the head coach that sets the tone and the, the vision and the, the structure of the team uh, with that kind of fluctuations and change. I mean, it's. I suppose it's inevitable that the team won't be able to make forward progress. No, and that's the thing is that this once again sends the message that you know whoever is above Mo Johnson, whoever is running this organization, doesn't know what they're doing. Mm. And it's as simple. It's you know, it's it's pretty clear and it's evident there for everyone to see that. I can't. I can't think of you know outside of you know someone. Uh, I remember reading somewhere it was Real Madrid. I mean, that's the only example you have of a team that turns over managers so quickly. And usually but, does quite well, though, yes, in the process. Yes. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just like, this is an expansion team. Like, how is it How is it possible to keep fucking this up over and over and over? And just, you know, and it's just, it's not like this is like, oh, we missed the playoffs. These seem to be, you know, it's massive gaps in, you know, proper progress the club is making to give, you know, us as supporters something to say, well, you know, this is, we're just about here. You know, we just need a, we just need a good coach. I think if we'd scraped into the playoffs and gone out in the first round, then I think, um, I think the majority of um, supporters and fans would have said, you know, yeah, this is progress. You know, we're we're certainly not at the, uh, at the upper echelons within the MLS at the moment, but, you know, at least we're, at least we're a contender within or well, a claim to be a contender. Now, this is an interesting point, Spark, that you made uh, when I, uh, when we were talking at the weekend was with regards to um, salaries. And Toronto FC have one of the highest salaries or payroll for the players that they have. And yet they far uh, underperform teams with a lower payroll. I mean, I think we're the fifth highest payroll in the league. Fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the teams above us would be uh, New York, LA, and Chicago, and that's it. And and New York is ahead of everyone by quite a bit. Now, um, is it? No, a lot of a lot of questions have been raised about the um, the money that's lavished on players um, that are kind of they're not unproven, but they're kind of unproven in recent times, such as Mister. Yeah, Mister's getting a big paycheck, and he's also hasn't really played competitive football week in, week out for a number of years. Right. And is within the MLS itself, within the structure and this kind of, which is quite different from European football, how uh, how well he could fit in. 
And I think the adjustment for a player like Mister is quite obvious that he's not scoring goals and he's not playing a full 90 minutes. And yet we're, we're paying big money for that. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fair reflection of the fact that Mo Johnson, to a certain extent, with his decisions as far as players are concerned, um, he took gambles on gambles which didn't really pay off, uh, you know, continuously. Yeah. Like Pablo Vitti was yeah. a gamble. Or, or very uninformed decisions uh, or ones with not proper due diligence mm-hmm. because they were... They were a lot of his. I feel like his decisions were made in the heat of the moment. Convenience, yeah, yeah, or, or knee jerk reactions where the team was was on a skid, and and what does he do? He brings in Ali Gerba and, and Nick Garcia, mm-hmm. getting rid of some draft picks, and, and where did those where have those really panned out for us in our favor? And, and other than huge salaries, yeah. And the other thing is, on the other side of that, like Preki and Mo, obviously they have a history together. Uh, Mo allowed. Preki to come in and basically say, this is your club now, this is your team. So all decisions about like hiring and firing and trades are you're free to make. And the, if you look at the way that Preki went about basically filleting the side and then started from scratch, bringing in a lot of players that he... I mean, the decision to release Sam Cronin was one that I never really understood because Sam Cronin, uh, we kind of all agreed at the end of last season, was one of the bright the brightest spot, spots within the, the organisation. So when when that decision to release Sam Cronin came along, a lot of us were left like scratching our heads, thinking, you know, what's wrong with Sam Cronin? But it, I think Preki liked to be surrounded by players that he knew and players that fitted his style of management. Now, his style of management, um, as we know from Shivers, where he was basically run out of town by the players. Yep. It, it appears that the same thing has happened here at Toronto, where you just had to look at the players and the way they played on Saturday to see. I mean, it, it didn't take like sort of a psychologist to realise that these guys were just completely unmotivated. And we've said this a number of times in the past, that these are the these are the big games. This is where there was 20... 1,000 or 20,000 fans there, all willing and hoping for the team to win, you know, and doing their best to get behind them. But after about 20 minutes, it became very apparent that the players just weren't into it. Yeah. And Preki was sat down, arms folded, legs crossed, hunched over in the dugout for the entire 90 minutes. Not once did he get on his feet to urge them along. And, and I think that was just a sign of the players didn't want to play for him. No. And that's what it seemed... I mean, you heard, you heard rumors almost from the get-go. You know, the players that were released, like Ali Gerba, um, and that, and even Julian de Guzman dropping some hints in pre-training about, you know, he's never seen something like this. That when they went through a, a preseason without enough players to do an inter-squad game. <laughs> I mean, that's just that just says. I mean, that says it all. That's kind of set to me, anyways. That set the tone for this season. I give Preki credit that. You know, the team got pulled together and after the third or fourth game, they started to, you know, come together and, and put together, you know, a cohesive 90 minutes. But at the same time, it's there just were that... some there were some you're quite right. There were some there were some pretty solid footballing performances uh, throughout. And in particular, the Chicago game um, at BMO Fields was one of the, the better performances um, that I've witnessed from Toronto. Mm-hmm. So the entire season wasn't um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't all negative, 
However, the the series of home draws throughout the summer and then the inability to sort of make an impact on the road and then heading into this most recent phase of the season where we just can't score and we can't win, I think it just sort of adds up to like a a disaster in the making and ultimately Preki and Mo Johnson have paid the price for that. Um, I don't think that Mo Johnson, in my opinion, I mean, he's had issues within the MLS. Uh, as a player, he didn't have any issues, but as a manager, he certainly had his issues. Mm-hmm. Um, from a management standpoint, is he uh, a leader? Is he able someone to sort of form an organisation? I doubt it. Um, is Preki a great motivational sort of man-manager who can get the best out of players like Di Rosario, De Guzman, Mr... Santos, um, I doubt it as well. I think he kind of, it's kind of like my way or the gangway yeah. kind of approach, you know, and he's building a team of like precky, precky players. Yeah. So that's where I kind of sensed that he wanted to build a team that he was very familiar with, with players who were very familiar with him. And so that when he came to him ex- wanting them to execute a style of play that he wanted, there would be no like, what the fuck? Yeah. So that's the way I see it anyway. I'm not happy about this this year. I mean, I'm happy that Mo Johnson's gone. And I'm happy I'm happy to a certain degree that the organisation has taken the decision to basically start again from scratch. But I'm certainly not happy under the circumstances of basically Toronto being eliminate, eliminated from playoff contention. No. Because that's a thing. Like to have got a little bit more, especially as we've got the cup this year. Yeah. I mean, it would have been... It would have been more ideal because that's to me. It's almost like it does, in a sense, wave the white flag, and you still have, you still have what six league games, two Champions League, three mm-hmm. Champions League games left. Um, it's not a good feeling to know that there is still a, a significant chunk of the season left, and you're essentially saying that the two people who are in charge of you know guiding this team um, couldn't do it. They're not going to be here, and we're going to have interim people finish off the year and the only thing that you know hangs over this is you know this is that we're almost in a pretty much exact you know deja vu groundhog day from 2009 uh almost you know it feels like almost the day where you know chris car chris cummins finished off the season they tried to bring in julian de guzman to save the playoff run um and the thing that sort of you're hearing a little i'm hearing some things about is that this timing timing because it's almost time to renew your season tickets and uh this is something that you know i'm curious to see if if so let me get this straight you think that the organization mlse take these decisions to basically be able to draw a line under the failures and say that we're moving forward with a new management structure to basically offset any anxiety or concern that the supporters will have about a raise in ticket prices. Or renewing your tickets. Because undoubtedly there will be a raise in ticket prices. I can't imagine them staying the same. I should imagine they probably will put the prices up for next season. <clears throat> and so, well, it makes perfect sense to me that they would uh, they would want to assure the, the, the crowds that it's, you know, not business as usual, but, you know, we're making, you know, decisions to improve things however however 
we, as it stands, we have an interim or caretaker manager. Um, we don't have a general manager. And we are looking at six home games. Oh, six games, sorry. Six games. Two I think home games. There's two league game home games left, I believe. We have two league home games left, two Champions League game, home games left, and then there's four road games. That's right. So there's still a sizable amount of games to go. Makes me, uh, I mean, Steve and I on the podcast on Saturday kind of worked out numbers on what we thought were a reasonable sort of expectation. How do you imagine that the team will uh, react to the decision of Preki and Mo going? Um, do you think that there'll be... Um, well, they're saying that this was, uh, that the team was, was asked about this and they were unanimous in, in agreeing that Preki should go in there for Nick Dasovich taking over the team. Now, do you Unanimous. That was the, the word being thrown around. Do you think in the interim that uh, Jim Brennan would take over as general manager? Well, no, because they they did it. They did assign the general manager who was Earl Cochran. Okay. So Earl Cochran uh, at one point was the uh, director of the youth team or the um, what would you call it? Yeah, the youth program, right at Toronto FC. So he does have some experience with with the side, and I'm I would be fairly certain that it is interim and it will be given to someone else. And Jim Brennan will, I really hope, I seriously doubt, will become the next general manager of what's, what's I mean, what's Jim Brennan's role within the organization? Is it just kind of like a liaison between no, the front come, office come and on, the Come on, we know what his, his role, he made this joke, it's to get, it was to get Mo Johnson his coffee every morning. <laughs> like, let's be serious. He wasn't, he wasn't given an assistant general manager. They just created that job out of nowhere. Yeah, but what does the assistant general manager do? Is well, must does he assist the general manager in his duties? Well, then let's, then let's, or is he assistant to the general well, manager? Well, let's even take this further. What did our general manager do? What did Mo Johnson do? He struck some pretty bad deals. Yeah, so he was the assistant to that. You know, like We knew that it came to a point this year where the, the players coming into the team were being more heavily influenced by Preggy, it would seem, than by Mo Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mo Johnson looked like he had his run on trying to bring players to this team, and it was over. Cracky comes into town. Like, what's the discrepancy between, like, what, say, a team like New York, who obviously are the high flyers, and Chicago and L.A.? What's the difference between what they're spending on salaries and what Toronto's spending on salaries? Is it millions different? or? Well, New York is, is far and above, you know, spending between two it's players, between Rafael, million. Mar- Rafael Marquez and... and uh, and Tierra Henry, that's eleven million right there. You have the Galaxy, who has, if I'm not mistaken, is five million to Beckham, almost one million to Donovan, so that's six. So they're probably spending around seven or eight. Um, and then Chicago, uh, I'm not really sure exactly their makeup, but I would imagine they're easily over five to five to seven million as well um, with their DPS. And so Toronto's not far off, but it's. You know that's this is the this is the issue. And, and as far as designated players are concerned, our only real designation designated player is the Guzman, or and is Mister Mister is this is a yes Mister is from what I know is in fact a designated player because he's making almost a million dollars a year. Okay, and and Durosario, he's not a designated player. He's not okay. It's because from what I understand, there's a few players at. Toronto FC, they're earning like 40 grand a year. Yes, this is true. You have Nana Atacora, Dan Gargan, uh, Adrian Khan, I think, is making somewhere in the area of 60. Uh, if I had to keep uh, mulling about, 
those those are the three definitely that come off the top of my head, and those are three of our best players. Yeah, that's true. You know, and that's that's the thing is you know you're talking about, about getting banged for you know, your buck. Yeah, you're talking about that. You're talking about how these teams are spending money. Yeah, LA's spending more than us, but you can probably look at their payroll, or you can look at a team like Real Salt Lake, and they're they're spending their money better. You know, they might be spending more, or some teams might be spending less. But Toronto, you know, you look at, uh, and this has been pointed out, you have Ravis Haskanovich, who's making over 100000 and, and Maxim Usinov, who's making over 100000 based on their qualifications of, you know, Haskanovich played in the Latvian League, and, and Usinov played in the second division in Russia. Where, you know, where is... That's the, this is the issue I think with most of the lineup is it's just some of these players are coming in and you have to ask yourself where where are these you know who's doing the due diligence but, where, uh, where is where is this come from? But where to be you? fair, to, but to be fair, that on a number of occasions in recent times, I've seen Toronto play, and they haven't looked much better than a second division Latvian side. So well, there you go. They haven't looked like you know a top tier, and the. Uh, uh, was it uh, New York and who played at the weekend? Oh, the, no, the week before. New York and Chicago, was it? Well, it might have been New York and Real Salt Lake. That, I mean, it looked like a like a pretty decent, like high quality game of football. Yeah, it didn't look like a sort of you know the quality that I've in recent times seen from Toronto, where they've just looked sluggish and slow. So it is unfortunate, I think that that Toronto's in this situation again. I mean, there are a number of players on the pitch who, um, by any definition, are quality players. It, what is unfortunate is that, yet again, we're in this position where uh, the team is basically just trying to keep its head on water and going through a, the turmoil of more management changes. And you're quite right, this is very similar to last season, where John Carver sat in the stands... Chris Cummins at the sideline. Yep. Then a few days later, John Carver was gone, packed up and headed back to England. And uh, Chris Cummins took over, uh, basically to try and hobble a team together to try and like sort of sustain a playoff run. And uh, it's almost a carbon copy of what's unfolded this year. Which is shocking that, you know what I mean, you're looking at a, a professional, in quotes, organization that you know can't has to do things over and over and over it's like we've used this expression i've it's felt like this whole you know running a football club has just been a trial and error you know they're just like well let's try this now and let's, let's try this again yeah yeah but it's the definition of like insanity of course where you go through the same motions over and over again yeah but end up with the same result but expect a different outcome <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> the mean, thing I mean, we've been down this route a number of times now. Yeah, and and it's getting to a point where, you know, for for myself, uh, you know, definitely last year, you know, the the fingers were pointing to Mo Johnson. Um, But as we've gone through this year, now it's like, how can you not look above him? How can you not look at Tom and Stanley and say, you know, you got duped and you you let this guy hang around the organization and poison it for four years. You know, where is your credentials that you have what it takes to make the right choice for this team moving forward. And if and if it's the wrong choice, that you'll do something about it not at the last minute. Like we've seen like not four years, not three years or whatever into this into this debacle that we're all stuck with watching. Because you know, the it truth seems is like the house is always on fire. Yeah, the truth is, I, I 
I feel almost there that they're pretty close to fucking up this, you know, what was gifted to them on day one uh, in terms of the support that was pretty much handed to them on a silver platter. They didn't have to work for it. It just showed up at the door. And it seems to be from what we've seen this year and what you're starting to see with reactions and, you know, we go to all the games and seeing the, the type of crowds that are coming out. And it's not the same as it was in year one and two. And no, you're right. And um, I've never seen, I made this comment um, at the weekend after the game, I'd never seen Toronto FC booed off the pitch, ever. I mean, I've heard some grumbling and groaning, especially during the early seasons where we couldn't score a goal for love nor money. Um, but I'd never seen Toronto booed, booed off the pitch and I've certainly never witnessed the visceral reaction on the the various sort of message boards online um, from the, the... I mean, there's always like a few after a bad result or what have you. There's always a, a few sort of, you know, mm-hmm. no, this is shit, get rid of Mo, da 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 But usually there's a lot of like people placating the sort of, you know, the discussion or rationalising it or saying give, give more time. But... The overwhelming reaction from an, a, a number of message boards that I, I, I visited in the last couple of days was basically just get rid of Mo, get rid of Preki, and get rid of De Guzman. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, no kidding. So, do you think uh, like is De Guzman like sort of part of the problem as well? What's the problem with De Guzman? That's because a... people are starting to hate him. Yeah, right. Because he hasn't performed. You know, it's like yeah, but have any of them performed? I, I mean, think, you can't. I think, yeah, but this, we're I, not, we can't like we can't basically turn around and say a player of D- D- like De Guzman is going to be some sort of messiah who's going to basically you know bring on De Guzman and like you know suddenly the, the team starts scoring. I don't think the entire weight and responsibility for sort of Toronto succeeding as an organization rests on Julian De Guzman's shoulders, and I don't think as a player he's got enough talent to. To basically turn out, sort of, you know, he's only you can only you can only be good as the best worst player on your side. Yeah, and he's not even that type of player. Yeah, he's not. He's not a and goal then, scorer. And everyone should everyone should have known that when we signed him. That he's he not an attacking midfielder. No, so that's that's a strange thing. The whole, I mean, we can. That's a this is a whole debate or discussion we can have on on Julian de Guzman and and. His but it's role. interesting that Mo Johnson Preki have now been linked to de Guzman as well. That they're kind of like all rotten eggs that have got to be basically got rid of yeah. for the club to have any success. And I'm not really of that. I mean, I didn't think the Guzman's played particularly well over the last recent run of weeks. And I've never really been 100% impressed with him. He's had moments of brilliance. However, on on average, I mean, he's looked average. So, I mean, I've never... But the whole side's looked kind of average. Yeah. For long periods of time, so it's true. to turn around and put all the weight on the or all the blame on on um, on Julian de Guzman seems odd to me. One of the dumbest moves that Mo Johnson ever made, in my opinion, was locking in uh, Chad Barrett to this long term contract. Mm. I think uh, that to me, signing basically an out of form player from Chicago and then locking him into like a multi-year deal never really made sense to me. So that's one thing I never really understood about Mo, why you would, like if Mo, if Chad was coming out of Chicago, like on fire, and maybe there was just problems with the organization. 
Yeah, coming out the fire on fire. And it's Chicago. <laughs> so if I could understand then saying like this guy's on fire, he's got like a lot of potential, he's going like a long way. Let's lock him into this long term deal. However, he came when he joined Toronto, I don't think he scored like in his first like sort of half season after he joined us. Yeah. And then to sign him to that long term contract just didn't make any sense. That's where like alarm bells started ringing in my head about like Mo and like his sort of, you know, his ability to work a great deal that's in the best interest of the organization. And now he's kind of like a millstone around the neck of the organization because to get rid of him, we've got to keep paying him his contract. Yeah. Yeah, that's which which, which is, which has been, uh, you know, par for the course with, you know, Trading, uh, getting rid of Carl Robinson, we're still paying his salary. Yeah, had to package out Ali yeah, We had to, pay, we had to pay. We had to pay Carl Robinson to go to New York to then score a goal against us. Yeah, that isn't that insane. Well, there you go. So anyway, it's a big week for Toronto FC. In uh, in in some ways, it's good. In other ways, it's not good at all. And um, and it's certainly. Um, doesn't paint a very rosy picture for the the immediate or midterm prospects for the club. Immediate, I'm saying, like the end of this season. Midterm, basically, you got the winter to sort of hire a new GM and a new head coach, and I'm, then we have to go through the whole turmoil again of players coming and going. And the only thing that you know that some point out, and and there is evidence for, is it is possible in MLS to turn your team around. In an off season, yeah. Look at New York. Yeah, look at New New York last year sucked. This season they're on fire. Yep, but they had to spend some money to get there. Yeah, they got the coach. Yeah, sorted out, and they brought in. They did the proper like that's the thing is they did their proper work to find what's a Joel Lindpair who was playing in Norway, Estonian background. There you go, something for Steve. You know has been has been one of the sort of like the dark horses for that side because you know he doesn't get the same. Presses Henri or or Juan Pablo and Hell or any of those guys, so they've did their work to put together a good side, and that's really what it's going to take for Toronto is they're going to have to start, you know, looking under the rocks and stop calling up these agents that, well, that I, have. Oh yeah, I got a I got a guy who's playing in Turkey in the third division. You know, he's only worth seventy five grand. <laughs> he can help you fill out your roster. Good filler. We got good, a, quali- got some good quality filler for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can imagine how the Precky deal kind of worked out. He got fired by Shivers. He called up Mo and said, "Mo, I need a job." Mo said, "Oh, we need a manager." Yeah, you know, it was as simple as that. This, you know what I mean? Like, we can circle about this all day, but it's it, when Precky got hired, it's like, okay, that's convenient. But at the same time, it's the kind of thing we were just like, they didn't interview anyone else. You know, it was the first guy that came available, and they jumped all over him. And to me, that's just, it just says, you know, it's, it says it right there that it's got the writings on the wall. And but the thing that I hate most about this is honestly, it's kind of like a perpetual move in five year plan. This organization has that resets every year. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's not like we're at the end of a five year plan. <laughs> we're now at the beginning of a five year plan. No, man. It's every so... year is where it's, it's a like, new beginning. It's like. I can't stand it. Like, I th- you think, okay, we'll get through the season and they'll be like, at the end of the season, everyone will still be standing and still here. You know but- what? Someone should, I, I, I'm trying to work it out in my head right now, but someone should do like a skit for Toronto FC with the movie Groundhog Day, where it's just like, we get up, you know, and you, you go to the game and 
it's a shit game. And then you're hearing this gossip about players being upset. And you're kind of like, where have I heard this before? And you try to work it out a little bit differently each time. And, <laughs> and there's a new signing. And then, the you know, man, someone gets fired. And then, oh, this, this next season, it's going to start to be better. And then, you know, the upper management's always in place. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the perform- team performs at the next game, and the next game is Sparky. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. So they have they're in Real Salt Lake for it, a Concacaf. That's right. It's game. A, that's so they're going to get starched. I'm sorry. I think so. You can't you can't do a whole scale thing like this and expect your team to be mentally prepared. Well, maybe the team will be like absolutely fucking ecstatic. It'll be like a millstone or an albatross lifted from around their neck. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they will, but let's let's you know without cutting too long into this, they're, they're going to Real Salt Lake. Salt Lake has not lost at home in 22 games. They have 29 goals for and seven against. Mm-hmm. They're they're monsters. They so, beat they beat Columbus at home and New York in recent weeks. So you think we're going to get smoked? We're the, yeah, smoked might be an exaggeration. I think they might have, like you said, that. Oh yes, like it's a new beginning, but at the end of the day, this you know is what, this isn't the opponent that we should. A, you know, in in situations like this, though, what I, one thing I can say is that we're lucky. Um, just to wrap up, um, we're lucky in the the fact that we have a player with the sort of MLS experience as Di Rosario as our captain. I think that that will come into play um, a lot in the in the coming days and weeks. Is what kind of captain's role he takes on. Does he take on a role that's just like, listen, lads, it's fucking done. Come on, let's just get through this and hopefully don't not let in too many goals. Or does he turn around and pull his troops together, you know, and he, he and Nick work as a, a unit to motivate the guys? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is Julian and, and Dwayne both are backers of Nick Dasovich. So if they want him to stick around, they're going to start playing. Mm. And this end of the season is better turn out better than it has for the last two months. Yep. And that's what's that's what's gonna come down to. Nick Dasovich is gonna be around next season. It's gonna be it's gonna be with uh it's gonna be based on how Dwayne and Julian finish so, off the season. So maybe they sent off uh maybe they sent off Nick they said, Listen Nick, go off, go home, have a couple of weeks with the family, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, because in a two weeks time, you're gonna be working your ass off. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. It might be. You're probably right. All right, so... So we're wrapping it up, the emergency podcast. Yeah, it's off sirens off at the beginning. So. Uh, Tuesday, uh, September 14th, the day that everything changed again at Toronto FC. But this one's a big one, though. Mo this, going. This is, yeah, this is probably the biggest... This is probably one of the biggest moments in the club's history. I think so. How I, crazy is that? You know, we've talked about that earlier this year, that we, you know, we got through in the Champions League and all that. No. Mo Johnson's gone. Thank God. <laughs> no Mo Mo. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right, guys. Have a great night. This is Timmy on the right tonight. Yeah, Sparks on the left. No one's in the middle. That's fine. Ladies and gentlemen.